Amen. Well, good morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are a guest with us this morning. If you're new here, my name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so thrilled if you're joining us for the first time, especially if this is your first time ever in a church setting, or first time in a long time in a church setting. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Whether you're in person or online, we are really glad that you're joining us. Uh, and what we're all about here is really simple, connect people to God, to each other. So together we can engage our world for good. We have the experience, a little taste of all those things here this morning. This is week two of our uh, kind of Advent series, Get Ready for Christmas, called Unspeakable Joy. If you missed last week, we celebrated Thanksgiving week, kicked off Advent, and we celebrated week one by celebrating the fact that we don't live in Buffalo. Amen? Great news, great news, great joy, right? 16 feet of snow two weeks ago, more on the way, right? It's just a cold, dark place to live. But further north, even further north, in like northern parts of Canada... It's so cold for so long that underneath the surface, there's this layer called permafrost, right? It never thaws out. And it doesn't matter what's happening on the surface, whether it's a little more sunny, a little bit more gray, a little more snow, a little bit more rain. No matter what's happening on the surface, there's this layer of permafrost that never, ever goes away. The scriptures invite us to a layer called permajoy. That no matter what's happening on the circumstances of our lives, on the surface of our lives... Good days and bad days, hard days, sad days, great days and broken days. There's an invitation to know that all shall be well. All shall be well because of the baby born 2,000 years ago in a manger. So the series is an invitation to enter into the unspeakable, ongoing joy that anchors us even in the most difficult of seasons. That allows us still to mourn and grieve when things are hard. Doesn't pretend things aren't hard, but actually invites us to a deeper truth, a deeper reality beyond our circumstances. Now, in some ways, joy and the search for joy is the story of all of humanity. I mean, we were, uh, we were made for joy. The scriptures teach us that we are wired up for joy. We're hardwired for joy. But we all have this broken joy compass. We go looking for joy in all the wrong places, right? We go looking for joy in jobs and careers and families and all these other things and advertisers, right? So everyone around us is telling us, hey, this is the way to joy. This is the way to joy. This is the way to joy. And so many of us chase after something that will give us sort of a, a longer happiness than just a temporary happiness. So, so much of our culture, so much of our world is sort of this, this search for something that's going to give us sort of meaning, a sense of purpose, identity, a, a deeper sense of gladness than just mere circumstances. Can you see how that hunger for joy and how many voices, especially around Christmas time, are saying, walk this way to joy? Now, given that we're all looking for joy, given that sort of that search for joy is such a big part of the human story and that we all have this broken joy compass, it's inevitable that there's going to be disappointments that things overpromise and underdeliver, de- under and in the midst of all that, you start to ask the question, where can we go for joy? Like, what is a reliable guide to joy? Who or what is a reliable guide to actually get into the life that we all have a sense that we are made for, but we can't quite access? If you have a sense that your life has been a hunger for something more eternal, a, a joy that is deeper than just circumstances, today we're going to get some good help from some unexpected friends. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to get a couple of characters in the Christmas story that shouldn't have been included in the Christmas story at all. And they're going to show us the path to joy. And then we're going to get one character who's going to show us the path to joy because he misses it so clearly. He misses it so badly, but in so many predictable ways that he helps us. He's a warning sign to all of us to not lose the path to genuine joy by getting hung up on a counterfeit path to joy. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. A little context will be helpful. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 1, and we said that Matthew is the most Jewish of all the gospel accounts, right? There's four accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew is the most eager to kind of convince his fellow Jews that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises and prophecies. So we read the whole genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 last week, all of it, every last word. 
Lots of names, but what, what Matthew's trying to prove is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises to all these people, particularly David and Abraham, right? So Matthew sort of traces the lineage of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, and then he briefly tells the birth story of Jesus, and then in Matthew chapter 2, we get a story of what happens after Jesus' birth, and it includes a couple of guys that Matthew should not have included, and a story Matthew should not have included if he wants to persuade his fellow Jews that Jesus really is the king of the Jews. If he was trying to persuade his Jewish audience that Jesus is the king of the Jews, he should not have included this particular story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Matthew writes this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Have you ever been in a place where you're trying to make an argument with somebody? Build an argument, build a case. Spouse, coworker, a teenager, good luck with that. And you're trying to build a case for something or make a case for why you're trying to make a decision or what direction you should go. And you realize there's a piece of evidence that does not fit the argument you're trying to make. It actually goes against your argument, right? Have you ever come across something where you're like, I want, I wish this was true, but it's, there's evidence out here that's inconvenient, doesn't fit my narrative. So you've got two options, right? You can either ignore that piece of evidence and hope the other person doesn't know it. Or you can do what Matthew does here, which is to incorporate it and try to find a way to make your argument stronger. Matthew is writing a story trying to convince his Jewish audience that Jesus is king of the Jews. And the first people to declare that Jesus is king of the Jews are not the right people. Not the right people. Not who should have been the ones to declare Jesus is king of the Jews. They're foreigners. They are not people who know the Old Testament at all. They're called the Magi, the magicians, right? Most likely they practice some form of astrology. At least they're looking at the stars for God's guidance, which is clearly condemned throughout the whole Old Testament. Astrology is condemned throughout the Old Testament. They don't know the Old Testament. They don't worship this God. They don't know the prayers. They don't know the story. They don't know anything about this king that they say is king of the Jews. But as Matthew makes the case to his fellow Jews that Jesus is the king of the Jews, he includes these people. And these people are the first ones to declare that Jesus is actually the king of the Jews, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Now, this is part of the reason why I actually think these accounts are true. Because if you were making the story up, like, if Matthew was making the story up, you wouldn't have Magi declare Jesus was the first one to say he's the king of the Jews. But if you're making the story up, you would have a Jewish leader, a religious leader, right? To say, hey, here's the fulfillment of all the prophecy. You, if you're making the story up, you would have it be a Jewish voice who says, this guy is king of the Jews. In fact, in the early church, right, Matthew's writing the story several decades after it happened. And in the early church, one of the most uh, difficult, contentious streams that the early church is battling against is the astrology movement. The astrology movement was a big deal in the first century, and the, the Christian church is, is very, very vocal that astrology is not a faithful way to find God. So, Matthew is writing to a bunch of Jewish people and an early church movement. The, the Jewish people reject astrology. The early church rejects astrology. But the first people to declare that Jesus is king is these guys who are following the stars to get there. If you're making this up, you wouldn't include it. Now, let's just be clear. Throughout the stories of Jesus, we see the good news that God is meet, willing to meet us anywhere, but it's not an affirmation of everywhere, right? If you're up to your eyeballs in darkness, God will be glad to meet you right there in the midst of that darkness, but he's not, gonna, he's not there to affirm or accept or embrace your darkness. He's going to pull you out of that darkness into his marvelous light, right? 
So the fact that God speaks to the stars in this one instance is not, therefore, uh, like an affirmation of astrology, right? This is not what, that's not what the story means. The, what the story means is God is willing to go anywhere to meet lost sons and daughters, isn't he? He sits with Jesus all the time. That's where they are. So that's where God meets them. But if Matthew was making this up, he wouldn't have included this story. It doesn't help him whenever his Jewish audience. It's a big issue in the early church, but it's what actually happened. Matthew's not making this up. And so as we're on this quest for joy, as we're, as we're in a world where all the people are saying, joy's over here, joy's over here, joy's over here. The question is, where do we find reliable guides to joy? Who actually has a path to joy? What I want to encourage you, the good news is that the accounts of Jesus and the scriptures, those are reliable guides to joy. The accounts of Jesus, the scriptures, those are actually reliable guides to joy. Some of you already know that. Some of you already trust that and believe that. But it's important for those of us who love these stories, who believe these stories. It's important for us to remember that these stories are actually true because you've got somebody in your life. You've got the family member or the friend or the coworker who thinks it's all just made up. It's a bunch of legends and myths and fairy tales and people buy the stuff and blah, blah, blah. But my friends, listen, it's not a myth, not a legend, not a fairy tale. These are, this is history. These are dates and real kings who are really alive at real times. And there's stories here that you wouldn't include if you're just making something up like the story of Magi coming to declare that this is the king of the Jews. And so if you're a Jesus person, I just want to sort of, again, commend you to the scriptures. They are reliable guides to joy. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Jesus person, not a person of faith where like kind of scripture matters to you, where you're building this into your life. If you're not a person whose life is built around the life, death, resurrection, teachings of Jesus, we are so, so glad that you are here. I want to suggest to you that your life actually is at some level a quest for joy. And these accounts are reliable. These instructions, these stories, these are history. This is a reliable guide to joy. And what I want to encourage you as you're here this morning, if you're not a person of faith where faith's really integrated into your life, here's what I want to encourage you. Give yourself an early Christmas gift this year and spend December investing in the story. What if you spent the next three weeks, next three weeks, living as if all this was true, that this was actually the reliable guide to joy? What if you spent the next three weeks giving yourself over to this story, learning it, reading it, understanding it, integrating it into your life, praying as if it was true. Maybe you have never prayed before. It's not really part of your life. What if you prayed and built your life around the good news of what Jesus teaches, his wisdom, his life, his death, his resurrection? What if you organized your work dealings, your relationship with your spouse, your ex-spouse, your little kids, your big kids around what Jesus teaches us? What if you gave yourself over to this story just for the month of December and see what might come of it? What if there was joy waiting for you in these accounts? In these stories, in a world full, all kinds of voices saying this way to joy. The accounts of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, these are true, reliable paths to real joy. Now, the Magi aren't the only surprising characters in here or maybe distasteful characters. There's also wicked King Herod. Wicked King Herod is a part of this. Now, so Herod is a puppet government of the Romans. They installed him as, he's got, he claims some J Jewish lineage, but the Jews hate him and his life is a disaster. His life looks nothing like faithfulness to the Old Testament or the law or the scriptures. And he is psycho. Like he is so, so paranoid that uh, people are trying to conspire against him to steal his throne that later in his life, he has his own wife killed because he thinks that she's conspiring against him. That's how paranoid he became. So you got these foreign astrologers, see a star. They don't really know what the star means. They don't really know what it means to be king of the Jews. They just see a star. They interpret it as a sign that God's done something. The king, a king has been born, the king of the Jews. They make their way toward Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the capital of the Jews. And so they, they maybe show up. 
out of nowhere. And they start asking around. Maybe they go to the temple and say, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? Where's the one born king of the Jews? Surely y'all know. If we know, you got to know. There's been a new king of the Jews that's been born. So they're making all this noise, all this hubbub out in the, out in the, uh, out in the temple courts or out in Jerusalem. And, and Herod, who will kill his own wife because he gets paranoid about losing power, gets wind of this. And Herod, as you might imagine, is none too happy about someone who has been born who claims to be king of the Jews. Here's how the story continues to play out. Verse 3. When King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law... He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But to you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, early on in uh, early on in my marriage, uh, we had some significant issues and challenges in our marriage. And uh, what I wanted to do, of course, was blame my wife. Right? That's what you do. You blame the other one. Right? That's how it goes. Uh, and uh, as much as I wanted to blame my wife, it took, after after uh, many, many, many hours of counseling, my our therapist made me see that it was not all her fault. It was actually mostly mine. Thank you. I paid you all that money to tell me that. And the problem was this. My prime directive in conflict was to get out of it as quick as possible. Cut it short. Placate, quiet, whatever I got to do to accommodate and not have a fight, I'm all for it, right? And it took me many, 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 many hours of therapy and counseling to realize my prime directive was wrong. That to get to a happy marriage that actually was what I wanted, I couldn't keep that prime directive. I had to actually change that, release that prime directive to find a better thing to have healthy productive conflict. Herod has a prime directive, maintain power and status. Maintain power and status. These foreigners come to town, they say there's a new king being born. A paranoid, egotistical king never likes hearing about future kings. They don't like future kings. So Herod is deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And there's a whole cohort of people who have hitched their wagon to Herod's star, right? His cabinet, the religious and political system, all kinds of people draw their paycheck and have power and prestige and authority because they are attached to Herod. They want Herod to stay, keep his kingship because it keeps them employed and keeps them happy. So the idea of this new king runs counter to Herod's prime directive, maintain power and authority, because here's the thing. He thinks it's the only way to joy. He thinks, Herod thinks, the path to joy, power, prestige, money. Is he alone in that in the world? No, that's like 80% of the world thinks that the, the path to joy, power, prestige, money, having all that you want, right? That's how you get to joy. So he thinks he cannot imagine there's any other path to joy other than maintaining his power, control, money, and authority. But here's the thing. The Magi are coming to him and offering him an off-ramp. Are offering him an off-ramp out of what's actually not going to deliver joy and into true, genuine joy. But it requires Herod giving up his own throne. It requires Herod releasing his position and authority, giving up the throne. And he can't do it. He can't do it. It's too threatening. It's too crazy. Herod cannot imagine there's any other way to get to real joy, real happiness in this life other than power, prestige, money, and control. 
You can't imagine there's any other path to joy. And my friends, here's what I want to propose to you. When it comes to our exploration for joy, we also have a failure of imagination. Most of us cannot imagine that there's joy any other way than us getting it through power, control, money, options, prestige, whatever that is, right? We have our own kind of ideas of what that looks like. And then the Magi come along and say, there's a new king, a new invitation to a different kind of joy than you can imagine, but it requires you letting go of what you're currently holding on to. Because here's the thing. It turns out holding on to the throne was not the path to joy. As Harry gets older, he's going to become more and more paranoid, more and more miserable, more and more awful, and everyone around him is going to hate him because the throne could not deliver joy. It didn't have the power to do it. The thing he thought was going to give him joy did not deliver joy because here's the thing. We become a slave to whatever we mine for joy apart from Jesus. You become a slave, whatever you think is going to give you joy. The throne, your career, your family, whatever it is, they can be good things, not bad things, good things. You become a slave to whatever you're mining for joy apart from Jesus. Jesus has come to set you free. Every other Lord will only enslave you. That's exactly what happens to Herod over the course of the rest of his miserable life. He becomes more and more joyless because he clings to a throne that he thinks is going to bring him joy, bring him meaning, bring him significance, bring him permanent happiness, and it cannot deliver. My friends, we all got a little Herod in us. We all got a little Herod in us, right? We all, we all kind of want to hold on to the thrones of our lives. We all want to sort of maintain control. We all want to sort of chase after our own little kingdoms, the thing that we're going after, the agendas, the, the dreams, the imaginations. Here's what makes me happy. Here's what's important to me. And what happens is we triage all the wrong things. We put the wrong things as the main thing. When you take a good thing and attempt to make it an ultimate thing, the result is a, is a, is a thing that enslaves you, something that actually undermines your joy. It cannot deliver on joy. Again, these aren't bad things. Career. Money, job, status, numbers, everything, freedom, independence, getting 50 acres and no neighbors, which is like some of your dream, like whatever it is, right? We have these things that we think are going to make, and those things can make you happy temporarily, but not the path to real joy. The only way we get to joy is if we are willing to dethrone ourselves over and over again. Path one to joy. The, the scriptures are reliable guides to joy. The accounts of Jesus are reliable guides to joy. Step two, path two, to get to joy. That is to step down the throne of your own life and give it over to Jesus over and over and over again. Step down from the throne of your own life. Dethrone yourself and say, Jesus, you got this. Because this morning, the Magi are coming to you and they're coming to me. They're saying, there's a new king born. There's a new king that has been born. And that's only good news if you're not the king holding on to your own throne. It's only good news if you're willing to surrender and submit the, the throne of your own life over to this new king and say, all right, you're in charge now. Herod refused to do that. The result was misery because he, he tried to hang on to something that could not deliver joy. You and I, we do this all the time. And of course, this is not just a one-time thing. It starts there. It starts with baptism and saying Jesus is Lord, and that's the question we ask people before we baptize them. But that's an ongoing challenge. It's an ongoing thing. What do you do when you wake up one morning and realize the thing that you want to do goes against the thing that God wants you to do, the scriptures or something that God's nudging you to do, right? These throne tests, these throne tests. Who's actually on the throne of your life? Who actually is calling the shots in your life? So we have these throne tests over and over and over again where my agenda, my plans, whatever, like I, I wake up and realize they're either contrary to what scripture commands or contrary to what the Lord is sort of nudging me or kind of convicting me about. And so the question is, who's going to make that call? 
The invitation to joy is an invitation to brighter imagination. Because many of us, when you get to that point, you can't imagine something can make you happier than that thing you want, right? You can't imagine something can make you happier than that path, that thing, this goal. And man, it sure looks like that would make you happy. That would give you joy. Scriptures say the only way to get to joy is if you're willing to surrender the throne of your life over and over and over again. This morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, so glad you're here. The invitation to joy is the invitation to give Jesus the throne of your life to say you get to make the call. And this morning, if you're at a throne test moment, a juncture in your life where you're having to make a decision, am I going to do things the way that the Lord call, is calling me to, or am I going to go my own way? Because I can't imagine joy any other way but that thing. The question is, can you follow the magi, step down from the throne, and go seek this new king? And say, hey, I'm going to put this new king on the throne of my life. Trust him. Walk in his way. He promises joy, but it requires some holy imagination to believe and imagine that God might do this apart from what you would like. Herod can't imagine it. Can't imagine it. So he says to the Magi, go find the kid, and when you find him, come back and tell me, because I want to worship him, but Herod actually wants to kill him, because that's what Herod does. So Herod sends them on their way, and the Magi continue their journey, and here's how the story continues to play out, starting in verse 9. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them till it stopped over the place where the child was. When they star saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with, with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. You know one of the most amazing things about like modern day? YouTube. Right? What an amazing thing. It's a, it's a miracle, right? You can learn to fix anything, do anything on YouTube. Right? I think, I'm pretty sure you can learn how to do open heart surgery on YouTube. Just watch it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So one of the things that often happens, so, 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 you know, some of you like to fix things around the house, right? You got a leaky faucet, got a dishwasher, the car is broken down, helicopter in the back, it's not, not turning, the rotors aren't working. You're going to fix it yourself, right? It's what you do. So some of what you do is this. You go out there, you start to fix a thing, and maybe you have this experience where you start to try to fix something, and you, you're like three or four or five steps away, but you're stuck. Don't know, don't, like you can't figure out how to, how to finish the project, finish the job. So of course what you do is you go to YouTube and you have to scroll through like 16 dozen different videos, a few cat videos that are very cute and very entertaining. And then you find the thing, right? Oh, there's a dishwasher that matches my dishwasher. There's a helicopter that matches my helicopter, whatever it is. And you finish the project. Oh, you watch the guy who does the YouTube video. Like, there's the last three steps. There it is, completed. Project finished. And there is much joy and rejoicing at the finished project, Amen. Some of you never finish projects, you have no idea what that means. But that sense of like, right, that sense of, I needed help to finish the project, to land the thing, to finish the thing, right? The Magi, not Jewish, following a star, weeks, probably months and months. They have no idea who this king is, how it fits into the larger story of God's redemption. They see a sign that God speaks in their language. They see that sign and say, let's go. And after months of travel, they go to the wrong place. They go to Jerusalem. Right, because that's where a king's supposed to be, the capital. And they, they're so close to finishing this project. So close to finishing sort of this journey they've been on. And it's a little unclear how it all plays out, but it seems like as they leave here that maybe the star actually disappeared for a bit, right? The star that they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where, where the child was. They were overjoyed, maybe because the star had gone dark for a little bit. Maybe because the star sort of had... Had, had like not been as clear or specific in its instructions. Or maybe it, it, the way the, the text is written, it actually looks like that the star actually camps out like 
over the house or over the neighborhood where Jesus actually is. Now, there's a little bit, there's a lot of discussion, all kinds of discussion about what the star is, right? I mean, you can, you can sit all day afternoon, this afternoon, if you have nothing to do with your life, just Google it and sort of see all these different discussions about what's the star and where did it come from. Uh, there was like, you know, for a while people were like, is it Halley's Comet? Because we actually know that Halley's Comet passed over about this time, but it turns out, like, upon later, you know, kind of later uh, discussion, evaluation, Halley's Comet's about 10 years too early for this to have been Halley's Comet. So the truth of the matter is, we don't really know. Nobody really knows what the star is, what it, who, it, what, who or what it is. All we know is it led these magi to Jesus. And at this point, after months and months and months of travel, they get to the wrong place. They're so close, right? So close to finishing this journey. They're so, so close. And the star that's been leading their journey reappears. And when they see the star, they are what? They were overjoyed. Here's the final instructions, the last few steps to complete this months-long project. And the Magi experienced the overjoyedness of clearly being led by God, perhaps after a short period where the star went dark, or at least they got a little turned around on their journey. But here's the thing. They started their journey on partial information and on faith, that the God who invited them down this journey was going to lead them all the way home. That was their trust. That was their faith. Here's the thing. In our own faith journeys, you are occasionally going to get direction from God to go somewhere, but you almost never get the full navigation, do you? You never get the full turn by turn. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's how long it's going to take. Here's where you're going to have to go, right? And a few months later after this, a few months later than this and this and this, you never get that. You get partial information. And the question of whether or not you're going to experience joy in this life for many of us is going to be, are you willing to follow in faith partial information and trust that God's going to show up along the way to finish the journey, to bring you to joy. Are you willing to set out on partial information, just like these magi do, and say, God's up to something. I don't understand it. I don't fully get it. I don't know what else involved with it. But, I'm, but he's calling me that direction. I'm going to step out and trust that he's going to show up and lead me all the way home. This is path number three to joy. Path number three to joy from this passage. Follow whatever you know in the direction of the Lord and trust as he's sending you, he's going to lead you to the place of worship of the king, true worship, and the place of joy. And even if things go dark for a little bit, even if you get turned around for a little bit, even if things go dark, the star drops and it's quiet for days, weeks, months, years, even decades, you can trust that the God who started you on this journey, so gracious, so generous, his grace will lead you all the way home. Now, as little as the Magi understood about this whole journey, here's what they did know. They show up packed for worship. See that? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. These are things that they just sort of found at the local flea market like that afternoon because they needed something to bring to Jesus. They've been carrying these things for months and months on end. They didn't know what this was all about. They didn't understand the Old Testament. They didn't know the prophecies. What they did know was they were being called to a king and they were going to worship. They were packed for worship. They prepared for worship. This is so important because God's going to call you and I on a spiritual journey. And if you don't understand the purpose of the spiritual journey, you pack the wrong things and you have the wrong expectations. This is not a tourist trip for the Magi. This is not something on the bucket list. Go to Jerusalem, check. This is a worship trip. This is a joy-seeking trip. This is pack all the things that matter most and bring them to surrender to the foot of this new king kind of trip. My friends, here's the challenge for us. When God calls you and I on a spiritual journey, it's not a tourist invitation. It's not actually for your comfort or convenience. 
It's not actually to serve you as a consumer. It's so hard, right? So hard. When the Lord calls us on a journey with him, he's going to lead us to a place, an invitation to worship. True worship of the true king. That worship of the true king is what leads us to joy. And some things on this trip that he's calling us on would only trip us up. And so we have to leave them behind in order to follow Jesus. Some things that on the journey have to be dropped along the way. Many years after this experience, Jesus will call his very first disciples. And his very first disciples are fishermen. They're cleaning their nets. He says, come follow me. And what do those disciples do? You know what they do? They drop their nets and follow Jesus because the nets would just trip them up, right? Can you imagine them carrying nets through the desert? On space to have nets, right? You don't need those nets to follow Jesus. He's got something better for you. Now, they have no idea. that They've done fishermen their whole lives. This has been their whole life, their whole livelihood. This is what pays the bills. They drop the nets to follow Jesus because the nets would just trip them up. Some things are just going to trip you up on the journey with Jesus. He says, you got to drop that to follow me. Other things come with, right? Families, careers, your gifts and abilities. Those things come with you. So he has something to offer at Jesus' feet. Those are your gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's my career. Here's our money. Here's my kids. Here's my marriage. Here's the things that matter most to me. I'm laying this at your feet. That's my gold, frankincense, and myrrh. My friends, the goal of the journey is worship that leads to joy. And every journey is a custom job, right? I I sit down, I have lunches and coffees with all all kinds of you people, and you're always sharing me these great stories, beautiful stories, heart-wrenching stories of the challenges and the ups and downs you've had. Every journey is a custom job that God's at work in. But my friends, every journey where we're following the star of Christ leads to the same place, genuine worship that leads to real joy. That's the point of the journey. That's what God's doing. That's God's goal for your journey and my journey. Every job is a custom job, but it all brings us to the same place, the same king, the same worship that leads to eternal joy. Joy, my friends. You were made for joy. And man, there's so many disappointments along the way in this world. So many paths, so many people crying out, this way to joy, this way to joy, this way to joy. What are the reliable guides to joy? Let me just recap those things. Today's wildly important take comes One, reliable path to joy, number one, is the accounts of Jesus are a reliable guide to joy. If you're not yet committed to the way of Jesus, if you don't yet know the way of Jesus, so glad you're, you're here. Give yourself a gift, an early Christmas gift this year. Sit down in the stories of Jesus. Listen to what he says about what the path to joy is, the path to wisdom is, the path to peace is. It's counterintuitive, not self-interpreting, not always obvious. But but these scripture accounts, these are a reliable guide to joy. Can you join with the Magi? Make your way to the true king. Secondly, path to joy. Step down from the throne of your own life and give that throne over to Jesus. We think the only way to joy is our agenda, our control. If we could just get this thing, get that thing, if only the thing would do, that would make me happy, that would give me joy. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Step down from the throne of your own life. Trust me. I'm going to bring you to joy. Because anything that you mind for joy apart from Jesus is just going to enslave you like it did for Herod, dethrone yourself. And today, if you're at a critical juncture where it's like, who's in control? Who's on the throne? Is it you or is it the Lord? I want to invite you today to follow the Magi, the path to joy. I know that you think the thing that you're headed toward is going to make you happy, going to bring you joy. But if the Lord says no to that thing, it will only, only, only enslave you. Let that go. Open your heart. Open your imagination. There might be another path, a better path, the way of Christ to joy. Finally, follow whatever you know of the direction of the Lord. He'll lead you to worship that leads to real 
joy. Whatever you know, whatever you understand, whatever kind of inkling of direction. Listen, the scriptures give you about 90% of what you need, really. Scriptures cover like 90% of day-to-day life. That last 10%, those are the wild cards, right? It's the the big decisions, the big direction, those sort of things. But the scriptures give you 90% of what you need to sort of walk the path to joy. The other 10%, just take that step as best you can, like the Magi. You might not fully get it, might not fully understand what's going on, but take that step and then just trust, even if the signs go dark for a while, even if it goes dark for a little bit, he's going to walk with you all the way home. Every job, every journey is a custom journey. But the point of the journey is worship. So pack accordingly. Set your expectations accordingly. The point of the spiritual journey is worship of the true king that leads to true joy. My friends, good news. This morning, you were made for joy. You were made for joy. You were made for joy. And God has gone to extraordinary lengths to make sure that joy is available to you and to me. And this morning, as we head into the Christmas season, we celebrate the birth of joy, as to celebrate the birth of Jesus, as we follow the Magi to the birth of Jesus. And then we also celebrate the thing that God has done in Christ Jesus to secure that joy for us as we celebrate communion together. See, Herod wanted to kill the king. Herod wanted to kill the king, and God made sure that didn't happen. The baby, the, the baby Jesus was not sacrificed to Herod's whims. But an early death is why he came, actually. And so, here at the beginning of December, first Sunday of December, we always celebrate communion, and we're going to celebrate both the, the bookends of Jesus' life, both his birth and his death that secures for all of us that joy that we were made for. See, many years after this Magi's visit, Jesus is in a small room with some of his best friends, and storm is gathering around him, although the disciples don't fully understand it, his friends don't fully understand it, don't know what's going on. And after a meal, the Passover meal, Jesus took ordinary things and made them extraordinary. It's what he's always doing. Jesus is always taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary. He took ordinary bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this cup is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, everyone's sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The night unfolds like a nightmare. He's betrayed and arrested, run through a mock trial, crucified. His friends scatter in a fog of shame and fear and Uh, self-preservation, and on that third day, God raised him from the dead. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. We celebrate the good news of the God who has come. As far as the curse is found, joy to the world. As far as the curse is found, joy will come and conquer and overrun all of it because Jesus is risen from the dead and death and sin and sorrow no longer have the last word over your life, my life, or over this world anymore. Life does. Grace does. Unspeakable joy is how this story ends because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we celebrate that sacrifice. We delight in that sacrifice. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and we come at hearts full of gratitude and joy to these tables. We're going to move to a time of communion here. And the way this works here at Chattanooga Church, if you're new, is uh, the band's going to come up, lead us in some worship. And uh, as we go to these tables, we're going to invite you just to get the elements. The, the uh, cup is grape juice. The bread is gluten-free. So everyone's invited as much as we possibly can to make it accessible for everyone. We're going to invite you to come to these tables to grab the elements and then bring them back to your seats. And uh, we invite you to reflect, sit, pray with that a little bit as the song continues to play out. And then I'll come back up and we'll eat and drink of the elements together.
uh, if you are, this, this, these tables belong to Jesus. They don't belong to our church. So if you've proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, if you've been baptized in some church somewhere, then we invite you to these tables. If you're not yet a Jesus follower, again, we're so glad you're here. We just ask you to pass on this particular part of the service. We invite you to pray, reflect, to consider the invitation to joy that this table represents for you. But we ask that if you've been uh, baptized as a Jesus follower somewhere, that this uh, meal comes for you, uh, that Jesus comes for you, that joy comes chasing after you. Let me pray for us as we move down to our time of communion. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we are here to declare that you're the joy maker, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're here to delight in the good news of the one who has come to save us and rescue us. We're here to remember and to celebrate your birth and your death here, first Sunday, December 2022. And Lord Jesus, as we come to these tables, we come to these tables with our own stuff. Maybe we come to these tables with our own agendas. The, the, the throne test, the things that we're wrestling with, the things that uh, we're, we're trying to push you away or push you aside to chase after our own dreams, our own agendas. We can't imagine joy any other way other than our own current plans. Lord, we lay those plans now at your feet as we come to this table and we say, you are Lord over our lives. And we receive these gifts with great joy. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us to the wonders of your great love as we come now to celebrate this meal. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.